I'm Christine Lisi. Embattled owner Robert Sarver announced he's begun the process to sell both the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury. Last week, the NBA suspended Sarver for a year and fined him $10 million for workplace misconduct, including using racial slurs and harassing employees. The one-game suspension of Buccaneers receiver Mike Evans will stand after his appeal was denied. Evans was suspended for his role in the brawl with the Saints. He's out this Sunday against the Packers. Receiver Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, uncertain due to injuries. So the Bucks offense needs a couple of tweaks. Notes ESPN's Tim Hasselbeck. Who's the tight end? More Cameron Brake's been a good player. Somebody that Brady is comfortable with. And then run the football, which is... You know, really the thing that they tried to, you know, establish in New Orleans a week ago to get, you know, Fournette going. And when they do that, it creates opportunities in the play-action game, which is probably where their opportunities will have to end up coming. Tim Hasselbeck. Possible history tonight in the Big Apple. Yankees star Aaron Judge with the chance to tie Roger Maris's American League single-season home run record of 61 against the Pirates. 705 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, GEICO makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. GEICO.com. Easy. ESPN 690 and Action Sports Jacks presents Brent and Friends with Brent Martineau. We're going to have to show a little more patience than the year two pom-pom people. Casey Kurtz. Yo! But what are we doing, bro? Come on! And Aaron Schachter. I'm, I'm all in favor of these two showing their love, really <laughs> celebrating their relationship. This is Brent and Friends with Brent Martineau, Casey Kurtz, and Aaron Schachter on Jacksonville's home for ESPN Radio. ESPN 690. Four o'clock hour on a Wednesday. That means we've got a rose to hand out a little bit later in the hour. And that means we've got Clay Harbor jumping in from 4 p.m. until 5 p.m. I wonder if Clay's all out of sorts today, Aaron Schachter, Casey Kurtz, because, I mean, Justin Fields, what the heck's going on oh, out there man. in the Windy City? Got problems. But the Eagles, oh, my gosh, they might be Super Bowl bound. And, oh, wow, the Jags, <laughs> plenty of reason for excitement with a 24 nothing shutout. I don't know what kind of emotions Clay Harbor's feeling here on a Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. Clay, you out of sorts after week two, man? What are you thinking? Man, it's a, it's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. You know, the, the Jaguars, I go to a local sports bar because it's not on in Chicago for some reason. To watch the Jaguars, I'm jumping around, and then Sunday night, you know, it's like uh, it's like my dog just died watching Justin Fields uh, complete seven passes in the entire football game. So it's all over the place. But the uh, the Eagles Monday night brought me back. You know, big win for them, uh, showing that hey, they're playing against a good team in Minnesota. So hey, they they got the big win. Looking like Brent said, Super Bowl bound. Yeah, they. Uh, how impressive are they? I know you liked them. You were high on them. Uh, so are these guys. I wasn't. I was more of da in Dallas's camp, and then obviously Dak gets hurt. But Cooper rushes the band, apparently. Um, <laughs> how? how uh, is this even a little – how early they are clicking and look good and almost rolling over from last year, and A.J. Brown making that kind of difference? Uh, is that those performances the last couple of weeks, are they, they a little bit eye-opening even for you guys who are bullish on the Eagles? I, I well, going to training camp. I remember I came uh, I came to Jacksonville right after going to Philly, and 
I thought Jacksonville looked good, but I thought Philly was just so impressive and started out last week, this Monday, with that defense. Three interceptions of Kirk Cousins, who's actually a pretty good quarterback during you know, during the regular season when most of the games don't matter that much early in the year, he's, he's pretty good. You know, and they, they stopped that running nine interceptions. <laughs> yeah. That running, and Dalvin Cook only had 17 yards. That defense was incredible, but Jalen Hurts, I mean, he looks like he looks like an MVP. Man really, on a mission, huh? On a mission is, is QBR and rating, whatever, but to me it's just his entire game. He's running the ball. He's running the zone read grade. He's finding the open guys, throws for over 300 yards. He rushed for another 60 yards. He's spreading the ball around to everybody. Look at his stat line receiver-wise. We got Dallas Goddard with five for 80. Devontae Smith, seven for 80. Quez Watkins, two for 70. A.J. Brown, five for 70. Who are you going to guard? Who are you going to double-team there? He's spreading the ball around. He's seeing the field. He's not just zoning in one guy. That was one of the critiques he had last week. Okay, why'd you throw A.J. Brown the ball 11 times? i throw A.J. Brown the ball 15 times. Yeah. But, you know, overall, I thought Hurts looked amazing. The team's looking good. And in my opinion, I think they're the team to beat in the NFC, even above and above you know, it's interesting. I remember when A.J. Brown, I don't have to remember that far back, but when A.J. Brown was playing for the Titans, I thought he was a good receiver. I certainly thought he was a bona fide number one on that team, but I wasn't completely sold that he was like one of these top 15 wide receivers in the league. And it looks like he's really yeah. taken that step forward joining this Eagles roster. Man, he looks unbelievable. You know, it's funny you say that because I thought the same thing. Coming in, everybody's so excited about A.J. Brown. Like, oh, you know, it's a good move, but, I mean, they signed him to a big contract. He got rid of a first-round pick. You know, I'm not sure that it's a home run like everybody's making it sound like. I go to training camp. First thing I play, oh, who's the, who's the new tight end? The Eagles got over here. <laughs> guy, tight end. This guy's big. <laughs> hey, wait a second. That guy's not a tight end. Yeah, it's man. A.J. Brown. This guy's running a 4-4-4 at that size? This guy is big. He can run. He can catch. And when I saw him at uh, at training camp, same with Jalen Hurts. Guy looked like a tight end. These guys are bigger than you think. And uh, I was impressed since then. And since then, I've I've been a believer. AJ Brown's about two hundred thirty pounds, six foot two. The guy can play. He's doing all that at that size, that speed. It's really impressive. Not only are they bigger than you think, but it's a young core on that team. I mean, AJ Brown's twenty five years old. I don't think Jalen Hurts is older than twenty five. That those are young guys that'll be with this team for a bit now. Jalen Hurts is only 24 years old. Most people in their 20s. I bet Brent, when he was 24, was living in his mom's basement. <laughs> and and Jalen Hurts is over here in the MVP discussion. Yeah, man. This guy's incredible. Brent, yeah. were you living with Mama Martin? No, what were you doing? No, uh, by the way, I'd already been married for two years. What? All right, so you pegged the wrong guy. You got married at 22? 22. You got to preach to this guy, Clay. 22? <laughs> Honey, too. I didn't need the bachelorettes. They're running some trouble this week, too. It's impressive. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Hey, speaking of tight ends, uh, what about Evan Ingram, man? He's not built like those guys you're talking about. Clay Harbor uh, with us on ESPN 690. Evan Ingram, we thought, could make a difference. We saw him make a difference, even though the stat sheet like probably wouldn't have jumped out too much. Seven catches, 46 yards. But they, the matchup problem that Evan Ingram might present was there. He was on Stephon Gilmore a couple of times in that game and was able to beat him. Man, Evan, I almost bought an Evan Ingram jersey. I mean, that's how excited I was watching a Jaguar tight end actually catch some balls, man. I mean, it was, I mean, that was great. 
this was, and maybe it was nostalgic. I mean, this guy looked like uh, looked like a receiver running routes. He actually had a couple nice blocks too. Caught seven passes, but to me, he didn't need 14 targets. He only had eight targets, seven catches on eight targets, and one of the targets was uh, I mean, it was a tough catch in the end zone. But overall, I thought Evan Ingram played a heck of a game. I thought, you know, obviously Christian Kirk six caught six of his six targets for those two touchdowns. Marvin Jones, ETN had some nice plays. Zay Jones had some nice plays. And overall, this receiving core and these weapons. Well, same thing we said last week. There's a lot of weapons here. I was very encouraged, and it came to life. Doug Peterson is calling plays. He's like back in the day when I was in college, like calling these plays in Madden. I was in, in my team. I was unbeatable in Madden. Like he, he's calling better plays than I used to in Madden. This guy's unbelievable. Yeah, listen, I want you to stay there too because Clay, we've been watching Jags football for a long time. We have not seen terrific offensive football, if we're being honest. You know, the best year of offensive football was 17, and a lot of that was due to the fact that defense set them up very well. And I don't want to take a lot away from them. They were number one in the league in rushing, too. So they could play the power game, and then Blake did his thing yeah. in the red zone, and, and, and they were good. They, I don't think anybody would have ever guessed they were sixth in the league overall, but they were still good and efficient and got the job done. This is different. This feels different. I'm seeing design. I'm seeing Christian Kirk out of the backfield. I'm seeing matchup problems. I'm almost asking, hey, you can also use this guy if you want because there's another one that you might, like Zay Jones isn't doing much today or ETN might not be getting it a lot. I mean, this is different, and Peterson looks masterful in these first couple of weeks. I, I still go back to the first week, and we talked about the run-pass differential, but everybody was open. The plays were open last week against Indianapolis, man, that was like a clinic. That was surgical from Doug Peterson. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Doug is is very impressive. And it's funny, if you watch if you watch some of the uh the Chiefs games and the old Eagles games like Andy Reid, it's some of the same stuff, man. These guys both have those same instincts. You're seeing Doug early in the game. This guy is so confident how many coaches are going to go for that fourth down that he went for early in the game, fourth and three, fourth and two? I mean, not many. Mm. And it's like it's nothing. The guys don't blink. They get the fourth down. They go down the field, score a touchdown. This guy's got plays for every situation. It almost seems like the perfect play for every situation, perfect balance of running pass. He didn't just completely move away from the run game when they weren't getting you know, too many yards here and there. He kept pushing. He kept going. He kept throwing, showing that he was willing to run the ball. That opened up the pass game. I really love what he's doing. He's showing why he has so much experience. Experience as a quarterback, experience as an offensive coordinator, experience as a head coach. And it's showing this guy's, uh, if, if he keeps this going, man, coach of the year. Talk about overreaction Wednesday. He keeps this going, <laughs> coach of the year. <laughs> We're talking to Clay Harbor on Brent and Friends ESPN 690. If you want to ask Clay a question, give us a call, 904 362 9901. That's 904 362 9901. Clay, you're just talking about the play calling a little bit. I know you've got a, a little lean towards the tight ends. Obviously, we were happy about Evan Ingram, but we really haven't seen guys like Manhurts, Farrell, or even Dan Arnold involved too much in the offense thus far. Do you think that's still to come? Are you happy with the participation of just Ingram? What are you thinking when it comes to the tight end room? I'm okay with the way they're using it, and obviously me as a second, third tight end for a lot, with all those years with Mercedes and Julius Thomas and whatnot, you know, I get it. I feel those guys' pain. They're going to get, you know, 15 to 20 catches this year, nothing crazy. Dan Arnold got himself a little ball, a little screen action mm -hmm. in the game last week. But, uh, 
I like him getting the ball to Ingram. He's a playmaker. He runs like a receiver in those situations. That's great. And I love how they're using Manhurst. Manhurst is graded out as the fourth best run blocking tight end in the league. Let wow. him run block. Yep. That's his great role. At, at first, I was worried. You know, I remember talking to Brent about this when we were both watching training camp. I was calling out plays based off the tight end personnel, the personnel groups, and the game. I mean, I love using tight ends. These guys all got different skill sets and different roles. But here's the problem. is Sometimes that leads to tendencies. Mm-hmm. If you're switching in, you're subbing in these different tight ends for different plays, it leads in tendencies. But with Doug Peterson, he's aware of all that, and he knows when the tendency's showing, and there's, there's nothing that he's he's tipping his can to at all. He knows when, when this guy's in the game. You see him run a couple rounds with Manhurts. He's got, he's got Ingram in the block a couple of times. So, overall, Doug's doing a great job. He's not showing any tendencies. So, I'm okay with the way he's using these tight ends. And Dan Orr will have a big play here or there. I think Farrell will have a couple catches. Man Hurts will get a screen. He'll catch a couple balls. But let him keep doing the rolls. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I think, uh, Clay Harbor, uh, exactly what you were saying we've been talking to Doug about, like at his news conferences, too. And he brings that up. He's like, it's early. As you go along, there is going to be more tape, which leads to more tendencies. So from a, this is a way inside football thing, but from the play caller's point of view, he has to already be like five, six weeks ahead to be careful yeah. they're not doing the same thing with Travis Etienne or with Manhurts or with Ingram because he doesn't want that all on tape and then it's recognizable by the time they play the Colts again, yeah. let's just say. So you've got to be able to mix it up, which is a fantastic game of chess that needs to be played for the length of the season. But if you have guys that can do different things, that allows you to also set different plays in motion, use their skill set in different ways, and then tendencies maybe don't work that same way. So it'll be interesting to watch how it evolves. Through these first two games, I just think Doug has been so good in a variety variety of ways and it's fun for kind of us uh, from the outside looking in to be able to watch it Christian Kirk out of the backfield man I mean that is great stuff the design on the fourth and two I thought was terrific you know Trevor Lawrence could have kept it he could have run it in or he could have thrown it he could have thrown it early he ended up throwing late but once he realized that he wasn't gonna be able to run it in I mean I love those option plays that that have multiple different ways of succeeding and I think we've seen it clay a little bit already from Doug Peterson Absolutely, guys, and you don't know how much being living in Chicago, downtown Chicago, and being out here and being a Bears fan, you guys don't know how much this more this makes me appreciate this Jaguars team. How about this offensive line coming back after a week when they were just allowing pressure after pressure after pressure? This week, I don't think I think they allowed two hurt two quarterback hits, two pressures the whole game. Yeah, this, they didn't give up a sack. They really answered the call. And my hat's off to them because I know I wasn't too nice about it. I wasn't happy with the game against Washington. They're giving up all these pressures. Trevor, people are talking about Trevor. I go, Trevor's playing well. We does not have a guy, a defender in his face. Okay, then they came back. They had a good plan. And the best part about it is they weren't even they weren't even using chips half the time. This was just the offensive line. The sometimes the read gets muddied when you have to use a guy to chip a defensive end or a running back to chip a defensive end because you can't pull out the defenders fast enough. If you're trying to run, say, a curl-flat combo, the faster your guy gets to the flat, the faster the defender gets to the flat, and the faster that opens up that lane for Trevor Lawrence or the quarterback, Justin Fields, to throw that curl route. And a couple times I'm watching the All-22, the Bears game, they have to use all these chips, these guys helping in the O-line. It's muddying the vision. 
Yeah. He can't see him because the defenders are still there because they're not going to leave the middle of the field if there's nobody on the outside. So I, I like the job that the Jags have done. Their offensive line did a great job, and they did it all themselves. A couple of chips here and there, but for the most part, they did it themselves. That's very impressive. I might have, by the way, mentioned your name early on in that game because in the run game, Fortner on like two consecutive plays or two out of three plays did not look good. He was all turned around. And then you yeah. never saw it again the rest of the game because you brought it up last week. You didn't think he was ready. And I was like, hey, Clay said this. He didn't think he's ready. Yeah. And quite frankly, in the first, I think it was the first series on two different plays, yeah. he didn't look ready. But then he must have figured something out or they figured something out because I don't remember seeing Fortner again the rest of the night. And that's the way you want it to be. Oh, yeah. You don't want to see the offensive lineman. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too, and I was calling for Shadley. I'm yelling at the TV, make this Shadley in there. Get Shadley in the game. But then, like you said, you didn't hear much from the rest of the game, so that's a good thing. So Fortner's obviously improving, and uh, he's going to have to start faster, though. And this week, you know, you got the Chargers coming in. He's definitely going to have to start faster. you got a big defensive line coming in. Khalil Mapp, Bosa, I mean, these two, these two guys can rush the passer, so. I think it's going to be a big challenge for the defense. I mean, the Chargers got an all-around great defense, but I think it's going to be a big test for the Jaguars. I know they're seven-point dogs, but once again, I'm going with the underdog here. I'm going with the Jags. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, Clay Harbor with us, Brent and friends on ESPN 690 every Wednesday, 4 p.m. until 5 p.m. We haven't really talked Trevor here too much, but Trevor, I just tweeted this out, 59.6 completion percentage a year ago. Now, this one game on Sunday, he was 83%. It was a lot of short stuff. It was get it out, get it to your guys, let them do the work, take the underneath stuff. Two things of note I've been saying all week, one especially. I think it does take a mature quarterback to follow the game plan that long because you want to take a shot. Especially and a guy with his arm. Oh, with yeah. his arm. And he tried to take a couple of shots, and he almost got in trouble for taking a couple of those shots. But he didn't do it like six, seven times. Yeah. He took. He followed the game plan. Same for the receivers. They had to follow the game plan, even though it wasn't going to be one of these sexy scoring days for like a 35-yard gain. It yeah. just wasn't in the cards the way they had the game plan going. But the, but the accuracy, we look at that, and I think people look at that like, hey, Brent, it's just a bunch of short stuff. Sometimes that short stuff on the move, I've heard before, Clay, can be a challenging thing for a quarterback. He was putting it in the perfect spot, it seemed like, to let Ingram go make a play for seven more yards or to let uh, Zay Jones on on the fourth and two, I think it was, or maybe that was Ingram, uh, Christian Kirk. Like, he put it in the correct spots, so the accuracy was a beautiful thing to watch at 83% the other day. Absolutely, absolutely. As As a player, as a tight end, as a receiver, you appreciate a guy like Trevor Lawrence, okay? And I'm not trying to rag on Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields has talent. He's obviously a different style quarterback. But these two guys are the same year, same age, and Trevor can get the ball. He can do a three-step drop and out. He can he can lead a receiver, and that's what he needs to do, and that's the type of quarterback he is. And you're talking about he didn't have any long passes. Jamal Agnew dropped a wide-open, yeah. what, 35-yard touchdown pass? That yeah, was beautiful play. Insane. That's a perfect pass. He just dropped it over the shoulder, in the end zone, couldn't put it in a better place. You add that in there, Trevor's 26-30 instead of 235 yards. He's got 278 yards and three touchdowns. His game should have been even better. But watching a guy like like Justin Fields, Justin Fields can't do the three and out. He's not a great anticipatory thrower. As a receiver, you love a quarterback that you know in the butt when you're getting out of the break, that ball's going to be there. And Trevor's been doing that, and that's why he's been so successful so far this year. So I'm, I'm really impressed with him. I even look at PFF grade. 
as, as a passer and a quarterback, he's a 12th, uh, 13th ranked quarterback in the league right now. And as a second-year player, I mean, hey, that's a pretty big improvement. Yeah, we'll see if these stats that the Jags have compiled in the first two games on a lot of different levels, their defense leads the league in, in uh, turnover ratio. If those kind of numbers stay, and sometimes when you get off to a fast start, they do set the trend that at least you're in the top five in some of these categories. Or in this case for Trevor, he stays in the top 15 in the NFL in some of these categories. Those would be big things, huge steps for this organization, for this football team, for some of these players, if that can happen, because that means you played consistent. Uh, off to a good start. Now you got 15 to go and a tough one coming up on Sunday. We're going to take a break. We come back more with Clay Harbor, former Jaguars tight end, former Eagles tight end. Talk some of that Chicago Bears. Are they in trouble with Justin Fields? How much trouble is he in with the fans? You're up there in the Windy City. And also, what else is happening in the NFL? And don't forget, somewhere toward the end, we got to give out a final rose for a Jacksonville Jaguar player. And you got a lot to pick from. After this big 24 to nothing win, more to come. Brent and friends on ESPN 690 with Brent Martin, Aaron Schachter, Casey Kurtz, and Clay Harbor right after this. Yeah, they, you know, that's what you want, right? When you, when you draft first, second, even third-round guys, you want them to make an impact right away on your... And they have to make an impact, right? And it's a credit to, you know, Trent and the personnel staff for, you know, all the work they do, you know, leading up to the draft and then obviously being able to be in a position to draft these guys and add tremendous talent to your football team. And, again, you know, three young players that uh, I think highly of, you know, uh, they come to work every day. They try to get better at what they're doing. And uh, they've played, uh, you know, they've played well these first two weeks. That is Doug Peterson, Jags head coach, this morning, talking about those young players who are contributing in a big way. And they are. And taking a step and kind of growing up in front of everybody's eyes. But while they're growing up and maybe even making some mistakes, they're making splash plays. You have Devin Lloyd with a pick. You have Trayvon Walker with a pick. Tyson Campbell already with a pick from last week. And um, what about they, guys who have been here for a year or two well, already? And, and Travis Etienne and, and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor takes a huge step this week, it looks like. Travis Etienne's probably the one we're waiting. I mean, we've seen some glimpses, but we're waiting, waiting to, to be out. like, all right, yeah. let's see like a 64-yarder, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're waiting to see this guy explode, and we just haven't seen it yet. And I don't know if that's a function of his recovery or just uh, the way the game has broke for him on some of those runs. But yeah, he's so much faster. He just looks so much faster than everybody else on the field. Oh, not only that. Clay, I have like this screen rant. Uh, going on around here because in Jacksonville haven't been able to run a screen for like it feels like ever decade or stop it well they ran three screens last week as we welcome Clay Harbor back into Brent Friends on ESPN 690 they got guys that can run screens now yeah absolutely you know the funny thing is is knowing how much they emphasize screens in this offense coach Reed back then it was Marty Morningwig and Doug Peterson as our offensive coordinator and our quarterback coach there but Marty always made it an emphasis to say, we are going to be the best screen team in this league <laughs> when, we are, when we are implementing the screens and in our install. The best screen team in this league. <laughs> so I just imagine Doug saying that because those were the guys that he learned from. So I just imagine Doug coming to the meeting saying, we will be the best screen team in this league. <laughs> but it's paying off because when you emphasize it like that, when the screens come around, you think about like, oh, we got to make sure that we're doing these screens well. Because the coach really a point of emphasis. 
So that's not an accident. That's something that they really, really make a point to emphasize in this offense. I'm gonna the next time I see Peterson in the hallway or something, say it to him We're just like that. Like, Are you guys gonna be the best screen team in the league? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marty Morningwig, man, the guy, I love that guy. Okay, Clay and uh, Brett, I hate to take us off the rails, but Clay, do you remember last week when you were on the show? You had asked me if I would uh, make you a special open because you liked the way I was opening up the show for everybody. Yeah, I was pretty upset that I didn't get it coming on right now. Well, be upset no longer. We're waiting for you to mention it, but uh, obviously uh, that wasn't on uh, He's being on, too on nice. agenda. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's kind yeah. of angry at us. He was mad at us. Like, but we can't yeah. see him. He didn't want to put me on the yeah. spot or something. Well, I did create a lovely open for you. It's whimsical. It's majestic. It's not long, but I think it really encapsulates what you bring to the show every Wednesday in the 4 p.m. hour. We're going to ask Casey. Casey, you want to hit this? I'll get a different one going for next. It doesn't sound like you're too excited about it. So, uh, we'll I'm get ready a different to hit the gym now. I was going to say, you, we just play that on repeat while you're at the lifting. <laughs> I'm about to hang up and go hit the weights. Uh, you should have seen the people walking by the production room as I was guttural yelling into this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a special talent. Man. Oh, boy. Uh, no, no. Hey, Justin, give us, a, give us an idea of the noise, Clay Harbor, up in Chicago right now on Justin Fields. Uh, they, they're not throwing the football. Obviously, they come off a game where uh, things don't go well. They never usually do against Green Bay. <laughs> but then the comments on the fans, he's got to deal with that now, uh, which I think a lot of times those things get blown way out, but that's just the world we live in right now. He's had to apologize. I think today he did that and kind of set the record straight. So what's what's going on there? Are they, are they mad at Justin Fields? Are they on the verge of giving up on Justin Fields? Are they mad at the coaches instead? How could they be mad at Justin Fields for the product that's on that team? I think they're mad at him. What's I, I don't know that. Give us a read. All right, guys. I'll give you my honest opinion, and mostly just because all the Chicago fans aren't listening to this exact <laughs> broadcast. But they defend Justin Fields with their lives, and I appreciate that. But right now, I try to be so positive and look at the positive things for everybody. But Justin Fields just hasn't really showed me anything. And, and he had an up-and-down camp, but he had a good preseason. So I'm trying to be positive and hope that he can really step into this game. But he is holding the ball way too long. There were guys open. I know people say, oh, there's not any big receivers to throw the ball to. Watch the All-22. There were guys open. You know, the pressure wasn't – there was a couple times where he just – the O-line just got tossed. But most of the time, he had decent protection. He's got a running back that was averaging nine yards a carry. That should open up the run game for a little bit, right? I mean, Herbert, Herbert and Montgomery – combined at 160 yards with nine yards of pop when they ran the ball. Only thing bringing down their average was actually when Justin Fields ran the ball. And he uh, he only threw 11 passes, but, I mean, there was 19 passes called. He got sacked three times, and then um, he ran four, and then the, he had the, uh, the other attempt was he was four yards past the line of scrimmage, and he tried to throw it down the field still. So that was interesting. But overall <laughs> – I don't see much improvement from Fields. I'm hoping this week we got Lovey Smith, old Chicago Bear coach, coming into Chicago. The Houston Texans uh, last week they played the Broncos tough. Russell Wilson didn't have a very good day, but they are susceptible to run. 
So I think the Bears go in there with a run-first plan like they had last week, and then they use they use Fields, hopefully only like 20, 20 pass attempts, because I just honestly I just don't think he's a guy that you can throw the ball with, throw the ball for 20, 30, 30 times a game and be successful. It's just not him. Is that at this stage or like ever down the road? He's going to have to do some major improvement. I know he's only 23, but watching Trevor versus watching Fields is night and day. I mean, there is no hope right now when I'm watching Justin Fields as far as throwing the football. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've played with some good quarterbacks. I've played with some bad quarterbacks. And when I see Fields, I'm not seeing much to uh, to get excited about. I'm looking. Trust me, these Bear fans are crazy. I hope they can sneak in here and uh, they're going to put me on blast. they get a brick through your window. <laughs> now, that offensive line that offensive line in Chicago was not ranked very high coming into the season. And true to form, they really haven't shown much early on. Do you think a lot of this difficulty is Justin Fields trying to learn on the job but also trying to run for his life? Okay, so the offensive line isn't great. But if you look at it, right, look. The, the Bears, they got they got two guards. They're, two of their guards are in the top 30 of PFF rankings. It's not bad. Not bad. Two of their, tack, two, their, their center is in the top 30 of PFF rankings. Their two tackles need some work. They're young guys, but they're not at the bottom. Okay, so these guys aren't great. They're not the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. When I'm watching the Eagle, like, oh, man, these guys, these guys just look comfortable back there. But Larry Borum, he's ranked 20th as a tackle. That's not bad. Braxton Jones needs needs some work. He really does. He got bull rushed a couple times. But their offensive line isn't as bad as everybody makes it sound. I've watched them every game. I watched them this preseason. They're not great. They're not the worst in the league. They could be a lot better. But they're good enough to where Field should be able to complete some passes, and there is time for him to throw. There's a stat from ESPN where he is the – quarterback that holds the ball the longest in the NFL at 3.4 seconds before throwing it. So you got to get better than that. You can't hold the ball longer than every other quarterback when you don't have the best offensive line in the league. To me, that's pretty simple math. So that's unfortunate. I think he's got to improve his speed of delivery and his working through progressions if he's going to be successful in this league. Call in with Clay if you want, 904-362-9901. Clay Harbor joins us, 4 o'clock hour on ESPN 690, Brighton Friends, each and every Wednesday. He's fantastic, by the way. We talk uh, a lot of Jags, Eagles, and Chicago. He pays attention to those three teams probably the most uh, because of his connections to those teams and uh, is tremendous if you haven't caught Clay in the past with us each and every Wednesday, 4 p.m. on ESPN 690. We had Mojo on, Maurice Jones-Drew, on Monday, and he said something that resonated with us a little bit, I think, and, and definitely with me. He said, we don't really know who anybody is until after week four. Uh, yet we try to pretend like we know who everybody is, right, Clay, <laughs> two weeks in uh, or each week. Do you agree with that? I mean, does it, are we still trying to figure out, like, what the Jags might be? Will we have a better idea? Do you know what Chicago is yet? I mean, are the Eagles really Super Bowl bound, or do we have to wait for another couple of weeks to figure out if they're really this good? I mean, what do we know and, and maybe don't know about some of these teams, but also maybe the rest of the NFL? I mean, I think we can say the Bills are damn good, right? Yeah. You know you know who the Bills are. You know Josh Allen is that dude. He's, he's done it for – I mean, this isn't his first year. I mean, look at last season. Look at the season before that. So Josh Allen's that guy. And I think it, it's easy to see the teams that are pretenders and the, and the teams that are good. I think you can say the Jaguars are legit. Because you look at the first game. They lost a tough one to Washington. But they still showed glimpses. They showed all the things they showed – in the second week, they've had a better offensive line this week. 
You saw the same playmakers. You saw Etienne. You saw Kirk. You saw Zay Jones. You saw Marvin Jones. And then you see him come through against the Colts. Obviously, the defense is better. They're putting a ton of pressure on Matt Ryan. But that's that's the team. That's who they are. I think the I think the the Jaguars are the favorites to win the AFC South this year. Knock on wood, in my opinion. And then I think the the Eagles. Eagles. This that's not a pretending team. This offensive line, this running game, this passing game they have, defense looks solid last week. They're they're not a pretender. They're a contender. I'm hoping this Bears team gets better. And they've had some different games. If you had games like Chicago, they're playing in a monsoon. It's yeah. literally like they're playing in a pool. That was just a waterlogged game. That doesn't count. Last week at the Packers, I mean, I don't have any excuse for that, and Chicago doesn't either. That was just an ugly football game. So the Bears, I don't think are going to be very good this year. I'll be honest. Like I said, I hope I'm not, like you said, a brick through my window. I'm looking outside right now. Um <laughs> Nothing's on the nothing's on the horizon there, but they're just not going to be very good this year. And I'm hoping they can grow from it. I'm hoping Fields can get better and doesn't get too discouraged throughout the season. So, how much of this are you willing to put on the targets? I mean, obviously Cole Komet showed that he's got some skills, but they're not really thrown to him a ton, or at least haven't as much as I thought that they would with the lack of receiving on the edges. I know you're talking about Justin Fields holding the ball a really long time, but could some of that be the lack of separation his receivers are getting? Yeah, some of it is. He doesn't have a go-to guy. But, like I've said, they, they haven't thrown the They still threw the ball 17 times the first game and 11 times the second game. There's 33 quarterbacks in the league that have more pass attempts than Justin Fields. And, I mean, I'm not a scientist here, but there's only 32 quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> How is he... How is he 33rd? Are you kidding me? There's, somebody snuck in more attempts than Justin Fields that are not even starting? I don't even know how that's possible. Cole Komet has only ran 26 routes it's this insane. whole season. It's crazy. And 22 were, were more than just chip into the flats. This guy's so this guy's run 20 routes so far in two games. Has he been out to have a chance to catch the ball? And people are asking, telling them to cut. Uh, Colt Komet out here in Chicago, he's a bust. How do we know he's a bust? This guy run 20 routes and he's a bust? Some tight ends run, you know, 50 routes in a game, 40 routes in a game, and this guy, you know, two games, he's running, he's averaging 10 routes a game. And by the way, this is a guy Fields targeted 93 times last year. It's not like he doesn't know the guy or know where he's at on the field. It's just, it's so weird how it's happening this year. But to your point, guys, how about this? Uh, Cooper Cup, I think, has 24 catches this year. And I think there are five, six, maybe even seven other receivers (laughs) I saw this today that have more receptions individually as Chicago has as a team for two games. I'm going to use that stat. Thanks for that, bro. I'm saying that out right now. They have 15. They have 15 catches as a receiving unit, (sighs) and Cooper Cup has 24 himself. How great is it to wow. not be a Bears fan right now? <laughs> it's really good. But you knew there would be some of these struggles in Chicago. Yes. I, I know you were more bullish on them, Clay. But, I mean, Chicago, you you knew you could see this in some of the weeks, I think. I'll be honest, guys. Like, I was – I wanted to be positive for my city. I had a bad feeling that this team wasn't going to be very good. But every time I'm being positive, you know, something good came from it. You got you got the game you got the game against Seattle on the last preseason game the game against Cleveland preseason they're looking great uh, training camp you know there are some ugly days there but I still wasn't sold but I mean now I mean it's it's looking bad the mm. defense here's the problem 
the defense is looking bad. Yeah. The rookies, Jaquan Brister, Kyler Gordon, they missed some tackles last week that Brent could have made, I think. <laughs> I go, what is going on over here? Welcome back. Clay Harbor with us on Brent and Friends on ESPN at 690. Brent Morton, Aaron Schachter, Casey Kurtz, and I'll steal your question quick because I got to get out by 455, all right? Yeah, we're going to get yelled at. You're going to get yelled at again. Yeah. By all, everybody. <laughs> and so you just asked in the break, Malik Willis, Ryan Tannehill, basically when do, when's the replacement happen? Or does Tannehill finish the season, Clay Harbor? Honestly, I think that uh, I think that Malik Willis will be in there. I mean, I mean, what what more could happen? You just lost forty-one to seven in an NFL football game. Like, what is going to happen if you have Malik Willis at quarterback? At least you're getting a rookie some reps. Yeah, you I know, just, you're playing the Bills. But. I guess my question is, how how long is that leash for the season? Not necessarily in the game, but how many games are the Tennessee Titans going to be losing before they just turn around and go, you know what? Screw it. Let's get Malik Willis in there. If the Titans, if the Titans go 0 and 4, 0 and 5, they're going to put Malik Willis in the game. There's no way that they're going to go start 0 and 4 and have Malik Willis sitting there for having a good preseason. 0 and 5. What are you doing with Tannehill in the game? You're losing games and you're and you're not getting. Obviously, he's not the guy. So, so give somebody an opportunity that could be the guy and that could light a little fire, could make a spark. I mean, I don't want to say that because I don't want to do that, and I actually am a little scared of Malik Willis because he's such so athletic and he is a good player. I liked him in college. So, But I'll give them – if they go 0-4, it's going to happen. But obviously if Tannehill comes back, wins a couple games, gets them back to 2-2, two two, they're in the hunt, they think they can win the division this year, so they're going to see if they can do that first before they turn to Malik Willis. Yeah, I find your take interesting only because Tannehill had been the guy. Maybe not the guy they thought was going to take him to the Super Bowl, but they seem pretty satisfied with his performance over the last couple of years. Granted, A.J. Brown on that team as well, but I don't know. It just seems like once you get Malik Willis in there, you're pretty much conceding the season, and now the Jags really are only looking at who? I mean, if you're not looking at the Colts and you're not looking at the Titans, they're looking at themselves at that point. Yeah, but again, it's not like the Jags are going to run away with five wins in the first eight games. Like, sure. You know what I mean? So th- nobody's running and hiding in this right, division, if, even if one's in, in ahead. If Clay is talking 0-4 and, and they're throwing Malik Willis in there, you don't think Malik Willis is going to run off 10 wins for this team? No, 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 no. I think that not going to happen. All right, Clay, we got to go in a couple minutes. Your final rose from week two. Who are you giving it to? you got plenty of options. There's a lot of options, and... um. I mean, I wish I had more roses than just one for oh. these guys because these guys played well. You know, once again, Christian Kirk, great game. You know, I gave it to him last week, but he's not getting two in a row. Evan Ingram, it feels great to have a tight end that can play ball. Seven catches, could give it to him, but I'm going to have to go with the guy who started it all, and that's Trevor Lawrence, 25 for 30, two TDs, should be three, Agnew. QBR <laughs> of 95, quarterback rating of 120. 121. Great game. This guy's playing well. I think it's the best game I've seen him play yet, and I think we're going to have plenty more of these. I think he's going to have a whole collection of roses when this whole thing's said and done. Trevor Lawrence, will you accept this rose? Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, nice. Hey, good call, by the way, too. And I'm really interested to see if he can put together back-to-back games that are really good uh, coming up this week against the Chargers. He'll face a totally different defense. I think they'll try to put way more pressure on him. Colts hardly blitzed last week. Clay Harbor, have a great week, man. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Appreciate it, and good luck on the the morning and uh, post-game show on Sunday.